0: <laughs> Most people are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Bad flame. So, Welcome to the podcast. How are you? Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing quite well. How are you? Very, Very good. good. Very good. Thanks for joining us. What, what are you us. drinking? Coffee. Just black coffee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But do you here like you single origin coffee or? Uh, I do. This is this is your fancy um, non-GMO, organic, single origin, grass-fed, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you- that, that
1: coffee had dreams
0: <laughs> yeah it, yeah yeah exactly yeah. so i do like i do i'm a little bit i'm a little bit of a snob of my coffee uh, but my wife is actually not she loves Folgers so there's okay. a mm-hmm. little bit of tension in the household gentlemen um uh, between you know who um who brews their coffee first and, and what coffee we're drinking so you know have, you it, as, as perfect as my marriage is otherwise there's that just that little, little thing. it's right. gotta be
1: something that you have to work on it's like i said my wife is perfect but I won't reveal letter on air, but there's, there's, okay. She's a Giants fan. Anyways, uh, <laughs> baseball, baseball. Um, so we were, we're talking before we started rolling that um, saying how I came, uh, stumbled upon you on the internet. I was doing um hundred kettlebell workout, uh, hundred kettlebell swings workout. Um, and I did that for a month. And then I was like, well, what else is out there with kettlebells? Because I like general physical preparedness uh, workouts. And then I found you because you have a program with kettlebells. And then mm-hmm. on your website, Chronicles you have a, a, a very uh, not hidden, but this is this very innocuous link to what you say you're Catholic. And I clicked on that. And it's a link to your, um, reversion story. I should mm-hmm. say, on uh, the journey home, and I was like, "This guy has been on EWTN." And then we we'll come <laughs> to find out that you uh, work with uh, Catholic answers, and mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and you have a YouTube channel, a "Philosophy for the People." That um, we'll we'll get into it. But it's like that crossover between the fitness world, and it, it's, if you are like a very strange Venn diagram of like fitness. Catholicism and business, and you're kind of like the intersection mm-hmm. of those three worlds, but for those that don't know that much about you, like we do, can you tell us a little about, a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a strange it's a strange story, and I'll try to make it relatively brief. So I do like to create this sort of confusion in in people because sometimes they'll discover me in the kettlebell world and be like, "Wait, is this the guy who has that philosophy channel or does stuff with Catholic Answers?" Or sometimes they'll discover me with Catholic Answers, and be like, "Wait, is this the guy who's like swinging kettlebells on YouTube?" And they just don't know kind of what to do with it. Um, but the short story is is this: it kind of makes sense if you understand the origins of it all. So my my sort of academic background is not fitness it's economics and philosophy but when i was in school uh, i was uh, practicing martial arts uh, playing taekwondo and very much into fitness and weight training and my coach introduced me to kettlebells at that time and i fell in love with them i thought they were a great training tool uh I, they really helped me with my martial arts practice uh so i went and got all the certifications in them and started teaching and personal training just as a way to pay my bills in college right um it seemed enjoyable i liked doing it uh, and i i Yeah, I just loved learning about physical culture and physical preparedness and all that sort of thing. Um, So I had a blog at the time, and I was blogging about everything. I blogged about everything that interests me. Like, I still do economics, philosophy. Um, I was not a religious person at that time. I'm sure we'll get into it, Um, Mm -hmm. but still very much philosophically interested. And I also wrote about fitness because that interested me, too. But as it happens, the stuff that people were most interested in was the fitness stuff. Um, and then eventually, by my senior year of college, I actually got a, a book deal with Wiley to write a For Dummies book, which ultimately became a series of For Dummies books related to uh, fitness. In fact, I didn't plan this. I did not plan this. I'm not plugging it. It just happens to be right here. Here is the first one that I wrote <laughs> um, called Paleo Workouts for Dummies. Awful title. I still don't know what a paleo workout is, to be honest. Um but this was you like at the height eat of, peanuts while you're working out. something something <laughs> like that right but this was at the height of the paleo craze right um yeah and they contracted me to really write a book on kettlebells but they had to put paleo in the title because like all major publishers are just all about following trends so I'm like you call the book whatever you want I'll write a book about kettlebell training and we'll just we'll call the deal right wait um, so
1: paleo workouts is a kettlebell book
0: kettlebell well pain? it's it's really kettlebell and body weight so I had to like get creative as an author and think like how is this Paleo, like cavemen didn't have kettlebells, right? right. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm like, it's it's minimalist, right? So yeah, if you go it, through the it. book, um, it's got a lot of just basic exercise tutorials for kettlebells and body weight and stuff like that. But I, I always qualify it that like the title was not my idea. Uh, it's it's fortunately done done pretty well, but I, it always annoys me when I see the title of it. But this is just the nature of working with publishers. <laughs> um. So, anyways, uh, my career just sort of went in that trajectory. I, I really started my own business. I just kept writing and publishing content on online, and um, yeah, and I just kept going in, in that way. That I just never pursued any other career, <laughs> right? So, really, a lot of I've just owned my own business since since college, and along the way, always continuing to study philosophy, write philosophy. And as I was writing, actually my fourth book, uh, this one over here, uh, was when I had my reversion. Although reversion is not like the best word, they need a word that is somewhere between a revert and a convert, if you know right. what I mean. Because I never yes. had a religious upbringing. I was I was baptized, but I never I was never properly catechized. Like to me, a revert is somebody who like really grows up religious, leaves or switches denominations, and then comes back. That wasn't me. I just really had a pretty much entirely secular upbringing, right? So whatever that mm-hmm. is. I'm your classic story of somebody who philosophy originally brought me quite far away from religion. And then after a long, long time of working at it, uh, it brought me, it brought me back in and ultimately to the Catholic faith as well. And then in an interesting way, uh, I guess, uh, that's when people started being more interested in my philosophical work. (laughs) Up to that point, nobody really cared about it. Uh, But then once I, I sort of began to fuse it with, um, religious significance and started focusing more on philosophy of religion that's when i started doing more of the stuff that that you guys mentioned work with the various catholic apostolates i've written for Word on fire i do a lot of work with catholic answers now i run the philosophy for the people youtube channel so yeah i'm doing a lot of a lot of different stuff and a lot of it seems like it isn't um connected but in a in a weird way i guess it sort of is mm-hmm.
1: well, that's amazing that you're a writer you're an entrepreneur, you're a blogger, you're a YouTuber. That's, uh, that's substantial. That's pretty substantial. And I like the book that you mentioned.
0: It's like how to be good or how to be better. How to be better at almost everything. Real humble and original <laughs> title, isn't it? And it's funny uh, that that you don't get the title right. I don't get the title right either. In my somebody alerted me that in my Twitter handle for like the past three years, I've had the wrong title of my book. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so I finally went. I went and fix it. It's it's the I just call it the Green Book. Yeah, just to keep it simple. The Green the one. Just call it the the Green one, Book for
2: whatever. Dummies. So it's really sticky.
0: Yeah, you know, it's the thing is, is when you're working with these these publishers, there's always battles over the titles. They rarely ever let you have the title that you want, so you usually reach some sort of compromise, or you just you just concede. Um, which is why I I either dislike my titles or just don't remember the titles of my books. <laughs> there you go. So, okay, so, so you were you
1: something like? That caught my attention. I'm sorry. Can can, can I ask a
2: good question? It, were oh, you Lisa. at any point an atheist, or were you just like?
0: I'm just not in with the religion thing. did you did you all go? All yeah the no way I was I was a phil- yeah, I was a philosophical naturalist, right? So I was a uh, card carrying materialist type of folk. um and for me, for my sort of philosophical paradigm for many years, i that was the operative one. I really thought that this was gonna uh, answer the questions um, that I thought needed to be answered. And then once I realized that that wasn't and could not possibly be the case, I gave that paradigm up. I did not become religious right away, but I started considering different schools of thought. And then eventually, uh, more or less once I sort of got wrapped up in Thomas Aquinas and the school of Thomism, that sort of wanted me to take another look, if you will, at potential religious implications. Yeah. So yeah, I was very much in the naturalistic world, camp, world view uh, philosophically right. for many years. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That was the
1: same question that I was going to ask. How did philosophy <laughs> take you away from religion? How did it bring you back? And I kind yeah. of figured that Thomas has something to do with saying Thomas Aquinas is talking like we're buddies. Yeah. Thomas, <laughs> um, Pine. Did, did I see that you have a Chotky?
0: Prayer room nice. That's right. Yep, mine is somewhere. Yeah, it goes well with the Rocco's Modern Life shirt, as you pointed out, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you guys want me to, I can I can talk about that. Uh, I think a little bit uh, more that might be interesting for your audience because it's a very common story and it tends to resonate, you know, with especially a lot of younger people because I, I you know, it's somewhat cliche at this point. I, I had my first sort of science religion conflict when I was very young. Okay. It was in the sixth grade. It was very superficial. So, like I said, I didn't have any proper religious upbringing or catechesis. But you know, I, I had your general like cartoonish understanding of the Bible, what Adam and Eve and and creation and all that. Don't
1: do bad things, in, or you'll in,
0: go to hell. Kind of yeah right very Mm -hmm. very kindergarten level theology right and um so in the sixth grade i start learning about the just general sketch of the origins of the universe and big bang cosmology as much as you would learn in sixth grade and just immediately i start to think like hey that isn't the story i remember being told when i was little (laughs) right that sounds totally different right and uh it's kind of interesting. I didn't realize it at the time, but in the sixth grade, I was actually presented, and this will date me, either young or old, depending on your audience. I was presented with the two, I guess, biggest arguments against the existence of God, at least considered by Aquinas. I didn't realize it at the time. And one was that you just don't need God to explain anything. The principles of nature are enough, or as we might say today, science. Um, mm. And then the second is the problem of evil, because the sixth grade is when 9-11 happened. And we watched the towers mm. come down right yeah. in class, right? So like, you know, everyone has hardships growing up, but this was like a flagrant evil. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, just rocked your world. Um, so yeah. So like, again, I, this wasn't like, I wasn't totally explicit about all this in the sixth grade, but it's funny. Like those two things really rattled me. Uh, and so then over time that skepticism sort of increased. And as I got more into ph- philosophy proper, I was introduced into philosophy by various writers. I was into, Writers like Mark Twain and H.L. Mencken, and they kind of passed me off to people that they would – like Mencken was a a, a big Nietzsche guy, so he kind of passed me off Mm -hmm. to these atheist existentialist philosophers and and the like, the sort of old atheists. So my really my proper introduction to philosophy was very much from an atheistic standpoint at that point. So that's just kind of where I came in. and then, once you get serious about philosophy, you start trying to work out certain questions—questions questions of being, questions of causation, questions of mind, questions of ethics, questions of personal identity. Now you have to work within this paradigm, this worldview, this atheistic naturalistic paradigm. And the more time I spent in that paradigm, the more it seemed absolutely preposterous and inadequate to me. The more it seemed like it would—it would—it was causing me to deny things that could not. Per- possibly or coherently be denied. Certain ethical commitments, for example, certain certain moral facts, moral knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, certain facts about myself, about freedom of the will, about consciousness. And of course, certain like big daddy questions, like why is there anything at all? Why is there any physical reality at all? Stuff like that. It just seemed like it really couldn't answer anything significant, honestly. And I know that's provocative um, and it will be provocative to my atheistic philosophical friends but the more i think about it the more it just seems absolutely right to me um mm-hmm. so i gave all that up and i said this is this is this has got to be wrong um and that's when i i went back to philosophers i was familiar with in a passing way through like my undergrad philosophy courses like like the pagans aristotle and plato you mm-hmm. know i had had a general introduction to them but never took them you know never took like a deep dive or study and just said, you know let me just try and think with the old thinkers for a little bit and see what see what comes out of it, and then eventually you know you work your way up not just to people like Thomas, but the the entire school of Thomism, especially more contemporary Thomists uh, that people may or may not be familiar with. But I'll mention them anyways because people should check them out. People like Jacques Maritain or, or Bernard Lonergan or even uh, Father Norris Clark, and the way they just made sense of reality seem to actually make sense. Like this seems like a, a philosophical system that answers the biggest questions in a really satisfying way. It comports really well with modern science. In fact, might even be a necessary precondition to make sense of science. Sign me up. Where do I join the club, right? Uh, but of course, you can't spend time with a lot of thinkers like that into mystic tradition without um, them talking a lot about Christianity, <laughs> right? So catch. I could ignore, I I could ignore it for a while, and I did. Like amazingly, it's like, oh yeah, Thomas, and you know he's doing all this theology, but it's just his philosophy that one. His philosophy it's good, but you can't mm-hmm. you can't really live with that sort of, I would say, dissonance for that long. At some point, you got to say, like, was he, was he like this brilliant in one way, and then like this off in in another? That that would be a that would be a shame. And then from there, I just I became increasingly interested in the question of historical Christianity. Is there a historical basis for Christianity? But also at the same time, is there a philosophical expectation of Christianity, right? Given now what I believe philosophically about the world, given the fact that I believe God exists, God is perfectly good, that he created the world, something's clearly gone wrong. Let's be honest. You don't don't need revelation to realize that. The pagans did have like notions of original sin in a sense, right? Might it make sense that God would attempt to redeem us and when you think about, I think, when you when you have a good philosophy of God, you have the right notion of goodness, what goodness is, that goodness not only wills the good of the other as other, but seeks union with its beloved, something like okay. the incarnation starts to make a lot of sense, right? In like a mm-hmm. startling yeah. way. Uh, it's like, this is actually sort of a thing that you might expect if God exists, right? Maybe not in exactly the way it happened, but in a general sense or a broad sense, you might expect revelation, you might expect that revelation would have to come with some sort of miracle as a sign of authenticity, right? So it's like Christianity is just like checking a lot of boxes, right? And then I, and then I think a strong historical case can be made for Christianity. And then on top of that, it's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's tremendously beautiful. And, it's, it and it's moral teachings and it's aesthetics. And so that's what I try to to impress upon people these days, is no matter how you kind of come at it philosophically, aesthetically, morally, historically, uh you can come at it from any of those perspectives but i think the best way is to come at it from all of them and see how they all converge with a tremendous amount of force and indicate the truth not just of christianity but but catholicism in particular so that's the that's the the more full story still a very condensed version but yeah, yeah. nice
1: mm-hmm. i i think that the the part that uh, struck me the most of that is that you want to think not a lot of people want to think they just mm-hmm. like they go drift about uh, in their own bubble is because right now is what the culture tells us, right? It's you do you uh, yeah. just shared with me a commencement speech by Dr. Peter Kreft, uh, where he talks about to Stephen Bill, I think it is mm-hmm. it talks about 10 lies that the, the the world tells us and the first one that he says right off the bat is like you can be whatever you want to be. And he's like, I assure you, that's a lie, because if that were true, I would be the best left-handed, really, teacher of history. Um, <laughs> it, it's some sense of humor to that. But um, it it is remarkable that um, you went on all of that from an intellectual standpoint. I think that that was also part of my reversion, that it had to make sense in my head first. There was like a conversion of the intellect before there was a conversion of the heart Mm -hmm. Um, and that you all were willing to pursue it in a serious way to say, well, this is not obviously working. I'm just going to abandon it instead of like just doubling down and saying, you know what, I'm going to be just twice an atheist until I prove this. And I like, you know, kind of like that episode in the Simpsons where Homer is like putting uh, papers on the uh, windshield of the cars proving the the God doesn't exist mathematically. It's a very dumb example, but um, I commend you for that. Um, And and what do you think? Do you think that younger generations who are also going to date ourselves? Are they um, trying to look into philosophy? Because I think you mentioned that, that more and more people are interested in the in your philosophy content now. Mm-hmm. I have to be honest, like, I I think I tried to read uh, Plato or Aristotle mm-hmm. and um, I didn't get very far. So philosophy mm-hmm. is not something that I'm very used to. So, yeah, it, it is, is that something that you see? I mean, you're obviously creating content for it and there is a demand for it. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff that you put out there. So I'll try to comment on, on various bits of it. Regarding philosophy, here's here's how I think about it. Um, is Aristotle the best guy to start with? Well, I've got his Nick and ethics right here. We're doing a series on my channel. Probably not. I mean, he's he's very dry. Uh, a lot of what we have from Aristotle appear just to be be lecture notes. So if you just drop Aristotle in front of somebody, they'll probably just be like, what the heck is going on here? This is <laughs> philosophy. I want nothing to do with it. Right. Um, right. it's And it's unfortunately, it's kind of like you're a lot of, you know, let's be honest, undergrad introduction to philosophy courses are also either sort of like that. They're either just like, hey, philosophy are these weird thought experiments about being brains and vats or uh, Descartes demon. And people are like, this is nuts. I don't like what use is this, right? Or it's just a bunch of like political propaganda pushed through the various academic institutions. And I had both of those experiences as an undergrad. I had one class that was like the former I described, and another, my, my introduction to ethic class, which was like the latter. It was just pure political propaganda. The professor was a strong form moral relativist. So that's why I didn't uh, do philosophy as a degree until master's. I just went economics for my undergrad because the philosophy program was so terrible. Um, so I think people are often off put uh, by philosophy, by just first, um, bad impressions. A lot of times, uh, either the first thing that they read, they just, they, they don't pick up, I guess the right thing, or they don't have a proper introduction or the first person who brings philosophy to them, usually, uh, by some elective or something at college that they weren't interested in anyways, just gives them a, a foul mm-hmm. impression. I understand that I get that. But here's what I would say. Philosophy is not something that you can escape. It's only something you can escape doing well. We all have commitments in life. We all have value commitments. We all have priorities. We all answer big questions in different ways, either ex- explicitly or we operate according to them. These big questions are why is there anything at all? You know, where did we come from? What are we? What are we here for? How are we to behave? And where, if anywhere, are we going? These are all big philosophical and occasionally they bleed into theological questions, right? And we all order our lives according to. Uh, you know, certain philosophical paradigms, whether we are aware of it or not, right? So no matter what, we're operating according to a philosophy. And for many people, it's probably like a quilt of different philosophies that are inconsistent with one another. So most people probably walk around with a lot of incoherence under the mm-hmm. hood, right? So then the question you have to ask yourself is like, is that, is that the way I want to live? <laughs> right? And yeah. philosophy to me, my friend Jim Madden puts it this way, is like, it's the refusal to live a sham existence, it's the refusal to live a sham existence. And that just, that just links up to what um, you, know, you find in Plato and Socrates, that the unexamined life is a life not worth living. That philosophy is a, is a critically reflective turn. It's thinking really hard about things because that's the only way to not live a sham existence, right? And you're right that one of the, I think, problems of contemporary culture is this sort of practical or lived nihilism you know people aren't like explicitly nihilist but they almost live as if they're nihilist many of them they're sort of indifferent or they seem indifferent to these big questions they're very materialistic not in a philosophical sense but in like a consumerist sense you know yeah. very much tied to having things and buying stuff and what's going to be on television tonight Mm-hmm. And to my mind, these are all tricks of the devil, right? You go back to C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters, and you know what is what is one of the pieces of of advice is like, hey, as soon as they start thinking about God or something like that, like give them a little rumble in their tummy, right? Keep them, dis- yeah. <laughs> keep them distracted, distracted. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I think I think the hardest thing to deal with, gentlemen, you know, I come from an atheistic background. I'm happy to dialogue with atheists of 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 a sincere disposition all the time. Why? Because they're engaged and they're interested. I don't know how to get somebody out of indifference. I don't. Uh, that is a hard thing for me to do. There's a lot of people in my life that I would love to have big conversations with, but they just want to talk about the football game. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, know what, I don't know what to do with that. I, I rely on God's grace. And in fact, yeah. you know, uh, I think there's actually a good link to the problem of evil and suffering here. I think sometimes uh, suffering, a lot of times suffering is a certain medicine that can wake us up. To issues of indifference, egoism, narcissism, that can get us to start to take critically reflective terms and ask, what is most important in life? How should I be living? Am I am I living in accord with with all of that? Uh, so those are those are you know I guess bigger theological considerations. But the the, the point I try to press of why people should get into philosophy is because you can't escape doing it no matter what. You can only escape doing it. Well, you can't not have a philosophy. You can only not have a good philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're stuck doing with something, you might as well try to, to, to do the best you can at it, right? And beyond that, um, philosophy has major implications. I mean, the biggest questions that we can think of are questions about human identity. Who or what are we? Human origin. Where did we come from? Mm-hmm. Human destiny, why are we here? Where are we headed? And and human morality, how are we to behave? And unless you're pulling directly from Revelation, which I think is perfectly legitimate, these are all questions that are not scientific. They could never be scientific. They are philosophical questions. And they're questions that we all naturally ask. We all ask them as children, which yeah. is amazing, right? They're They're very natural questions. But we, we stop asking them because we're either indoctrinated out of it or dad got annoyed and told us to stop asking so many questions, right? <laughs> or because our school system decided to teach us what to think instead of how to think. That's a big problem. The education system is is really not very helpful for uh, developing virtuous, philosophically inclined citizens. So I don't know if that answers your question at all, <laughs> but that's at least some yeah, commentary no, on somewhere. top of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I, I have a follow up to that
2: going back a little yeah. bit to when you were telling your your journey, right? Because we were, we're at a family gathering uh, a little while ago, and we were talking to a family member that's atheist at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. he's questioning a lot of things. He has the a moment. lot of
1: very, very nice distinction. There's yeah. Nice. Oh, so he
2: he's he's questioning a lot of things, you know, and 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 he engaged in conversation. Granted, it was like a little late at night, and we all had more than one beer on us. Right. So it was a lively conversation, but a very courteous one. Yes. So, and I am by no means an apologist, you know, I am, I'm growing in my faith. I'm speaking to people like yourself to educate myself and and learn. Right. So, but by the grace of God, you know, this conversation went on for a couple of hours and, and my wife did a bulk of the heavy lifting, you know, in terms of like listening and, 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 Offering kind of like rebuttals to his, all the things that you were talking about, Nietzsche, you know, all these like canned, uh, it, it seems like there's like a script, you know, that atheists kind of like throw out their different questions. It's like, oh, why, do, what does God allow evil? Oh, why is this, you know, it's like, what about other religions and stuff like that? So we got into different topics. At the end of the night, you know, I mean, I I, I told him, you know what, this is not going to happen overnight, obviously. You're on a journey. Um, but you got to put in the work. You know, if this is a hill that you're willing to die on, you got to put in the work. You got to see everything from every perspective. And I said, you got to read the doctors of the church. Mm -hmm. If at that point you're like, yep, I'm still willing to die on this hill. Okay. But you got to allow yourself every opportunity because you know what? It might catch you by surprise. And if you're really on this journey, you got to look at everything and, and, and not be lazy about it. You know, yeah. don't don't just receive talking points that you're getting from a YouTube channel or whatever. So see the see the whole picture, see different perspectives, see different arguments for this, and read a lot. You know, educate yourself in that sense. And that's kind of where I left it. You know, and he was like, at the end of the night, because I, I, we got into different topics, right? We got into topics of like abortion and stuff like that. And and I told him, you know, I'm, I mean, are you pro-choice? Are you pro-abortion? And he's like, I used to be, but since I had my kids, I cannot fathom how can somebody do that. Right. Yeah. And nice, I said, Nice pro life, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I said, well, that could be the same case with, with this experience. You know, uh-huh. so that's where I left it. You know, it's like let 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 a little seed, if you
0: will. That's that's usually the best you can do in a conversation. And I'll just I'll offer some points here. People want to. Here, arguments my channels are full full of them responses to the problem of evil and we can talk about all that if you guys if you guys well, i'll I.
2: send them your channel for sure yes
0: yeah um <laughs> in fact the two things i spend the most time on in philosophy religion are both arguments for god and responding to arguments against god um so it's mm-hmm. something i know a little bit about right but i find that in everyday conversation it's it's best to be a little bit patient right because the truth mm-hmm. is arguments for god if they're done well are very technical uh they require a lot of background understanding most people don't have the time to to understand them, and let's be frank, a lot of people probably don't have the capacity to understand them. Either. That's exactly what Aquinas said, by the way. <laughs> so don't say that I'm just being rude. That's Aquinas's <laughs> advice, but it's true. Um, then you can give like general sketches and be like, "Hey, here's a, here's a way I think that reason can can lead to God," just to show people that it is a it is a reasonable there's a reasonable way to affirm it. But the things I like to start off with is just get some get some clarifying questions. You're like, "Hey, even if you don't think that there's like." Knock down proof for God, or you're not convinced of God's existence. Why? Why be an atheist? Right? Why is that the default position? You know, atheism. If you're if you're being honest about what atheism is, it's not agnosticism. So uh, this is something I like to invite people to consider. Atheism, at least certainly when I was an atheist, is a positive claim about reality. It's a claim that whatever else reality is, there's nothing like God in it, right? (laughs) So atheists are venturing what's called a worldview, a sort of big picture of reality that's meant to sort of offer an ultimate explanation of things, right? Correct. And the truth is, it's very easy to be a skeptic. Just as people can be skeptics about religion, it's super easy to be skeptics about any atheistic project. Being a skeptic is the easiest thing in the world. Throwing out objections, asking questions. This is why, you know, this, this first kind of like move is important because why should the religious person have the burden of proof and in almost all conversations it's assumed that they do but why 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 is atheism the default position it's certainly not and it shouldn't be atheism has always been psychologically something of a of an aberration right it's a minority position always has been always will be um and it's not agnosticism agnosticism is where you just say i don't know agnosticism is where you just describe a psychological state that is a question mark. That's agnosticism, right? Fine, if if you that that could be a, a maybe a default, but not atheism. Atheism comes with claims. You're saying God does not exist. What are your arguments for that? And whatever arguments people throw out, you can easily be skeptical of those. It's easy to be skeptical of the problem of evil, all of that, right? So the point I want to say is like, just it's just just make it clear that it's always easy to be a skeptic. It's easier mm-hmm. to take something down than it is to build something up. Always, and think about course, what the yeah. what the burden of proof. Where should the burden of proof? land? And this is an important question because you kind of don't want the burden of proof because it's easier to be a skeptic, right? It's always Mm -hmm. harder (laughs) to build the position than it is to take a position down. Now, look, I'm happy to take on the burden of proof. And I've I've spent many, many years trying to do that for myself and for other people. But I just don't want the conversation to, to just start there if it doesn't have to right to get somebody to say hey maybe you start here with a question mark and then you can look at both sides fairly rather than thinking i'm going to start as an atheist and religion has to be proven no start with your question mark fine fair then look at both sides and see if one just has better considerations than another even if either is is proven and that i think can just put somebody what the reason i'm saying this? i think that can put somebody in a more uh in a psychological state where there's less of a barrier to entry if that makes sense, right? So rather it's than being I sense. default as an atheist and religion and God has to be proven, I default as a question mark, and now both sides have to present their case. And I'll just go with exactly. whatever one seems to be the better case, even if they're not uh decisive or you know, there's a demonstrative proof of either one. So that's just that's just something I would I would offer. And then another thing is if, if this guy's pro life, I mean, look, clearly he thinks there's such a thing as human value and human dignity. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a yeah. good angle there, right? Show, show me, show me what worldview better makes sense of that and better secures it. Right, a worldview where the foundation of reality is literally a principle perfection that made us out of a, an extremely gratuitous act of love, uh, that we bear a certain relation to the fa- to the perfect foundation of reality, uh, and that our ultimate destiny is to join in in an in intimate, deep union, friendship union, an intellectual friendship union with that foundation of reality. Right versus an atheistic paradigm where there's uh, really a principle not of love and perfection at the bottom of the world, but utter indifference, right? That's sort of what runs atheism, a principle of utter indifference. Nothing intended us to be here. We're not even really different in sort of kind of things that came before us. We're just different in degree. And from what we can tell, uh, eventually uh, we will all go out of existence. So there's no sort of ultimate everlasting destiny for us ethics probably from an atheistic viewpoint is something that we invented not discovered right it's something Mm -hmm. that just helped keep our species a going concern we're not really discerning or gaining knowledge of true moral facts it's really something that we project onto the world uh yeah that just helps us to procreate and avoid bears and stuff like that so we're kind of really if an (laughs) atheistic worldview is true we're kind of really living in a massive delusion in in many ways we're deluded about the existence of god which the vast majority of people believe in we're very probably deluded about uh, ethical truths. I say very probably because some atheists try to make sense of moral realism. I don't think they succeed. I think the better atheists are people like Nietzsche who say there are no objective moral facts. So if he's reading Nietzsche, he should agree. He should take Nietzsche's advice seriously. But if there's no moral facts, then how are you undergirding human dignity and the pro-life position? So it's like, look, yeah. look, my friend, if you have these commitments and they're good commitments, commitments to human value, dignity, moral facts— Here's a worldview that can make sense of that, that can secure those commitments. And here's a worldview that would ask you to abandon those commitments. now and this is this is what happened to me, guys, right? Like what's more obvious, right? Here's a yeah. worldview that's telling me that there are that I'm going to have to give up moral facts and free will and all this other stuff. But I, of course I have free will. Nothing could be more obvious via introspection. Free will also is required for just to, to to ride the rails of reason itself. So if I give up free will, I don't know how I'm going to make sense of reason, let alone reason to atheism, right? Uh, so a theist worldview can secure these commitments. An atheist worldview is trying to get me to abandon those commitments. Abandon these commitments are more obvious to me than anything. I can't possibly give up these commitments and still live consistently with my philosophy Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to go with this one over here. Right. Even apart from any other independent arguments for God, if a worldview can make better sense of certain commitments that I think are non-negotiable, that's reason to go with that worldview, especially if there aren't any decisive arguments against it. So that's another move I think that's important is like find the commitments people already hold dear and show how one worldview a theistic worldview. We haven't even talked about religion. And those yeah, are differences right. too, right? You can believe in God and not be religious. I did for some time. So that like the question of multiple religions is, is a distinct question from the existence of God, right? People, people who are Hindu, for example, are kind of um religious pluralists. They totally believe that God exists and that He just provides a sort of unique path for different people in different places and circumstances. I don't ultimately think that's the correct position, but that it just shows like there are religions that hold to the viability of multiple religions, right? Mm-hmm. And they believe in God, so it's not really an argument against God. It might be an argument against Christianity. <clears throat> so you have to just help people like ask the right sort of questions and draw uh, distinctions like that. Totally. So no, I don't know if that's helpful. or That makes sense. But yeah. one thing I like to try and do in just everyday conversations: is say, "Hey, you have these commitments, and affirm like these are good commitments. I think mm-hmm. these are the right commitments. Human dignity is a great commitment. Let's take a look at these worldviews and see see what what's." what makes that commitment secure, what grounds that commitment, right? And then if nothing else, that should like make that worldview more attractive to that person, right? Because most people don't want to give up commitments that are dear to them, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, because I think that uh, abandoning those worldviews or, um, you know, ideas that you thought to be the right thing, it can be a major, like someone is pulling the rug from underneath you, um when you are revealed this other worldview that can fit the bill of what you are feeling i think that was like part of my reversion that my, i i my my best friend was like you don't know your faith know thy faith and then you can abandon it
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that invitation to tap into the the richness of the faith was what brought me back to the church i didn't know Um, when I was walking away, like you mentioned at the beginning, I had a cartoonish understanding of the Catholic church. And Mm -hmm. when I understood what the Catholic church is in reality, but that's a completely different thing. And walking away from that is much more harder to do than if I had left the cartoonish version of what I thought the Catholic church was. And I think it was something that I want to say, um, uh, this, the you're in good company as to, uh, we have kind of a similar story of like being poorly catechized when we were young, we, we were born raised in New Mexico. So this is what we're trying to do with, with this podcast as well, is that showing people that there's, there's hope that you can, uh, you know, uh, catechize yourself and, uh, build yourself up and, uh, get closer to God. Um, The question that I would ask you kind of as a a closing um, question would be, for an absolute beginner, what would be your top three books that you would recommend uh, to get into philosophy?
0: Great question. Let me give – if you're going to start with um, a primary uh, text, which I think is always good on some level. I would I would start with Plato before Aristotle, um, and I would start with uh, the Republic. Um, why? Because you're going to get dialogue. It's just it's just more engaging. It's it's more readable. It's more accessible. But just go in under, understanding that you're not going to understand everything at first. But just just absorb it. Just read through it. Just 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 read through the Republic. Then, if you want a more contemporary philosopher that I think makes philosophy really accessible. He was an influence um, of mine in many different ways, still is. Uh, check out Mortimer Adler. And he's got actually a great book on Aristotle called Aristotle for Everybody. And Adler's a really interesting guy himself because he started off a sort of secular agnostic. Uh, eventually, him, he had this sort of similar experience where he realized contemporary philosophy is is just totally, totally wacko, right? <laughs> um, and he becomes more or less a Thomist. In fact, definitely a Thomist. Um, later on, later on, uh, becomes a Christian. And when he was just a Thomas, he wrote a really, a pretty good book called how to think about God from a pagan perspective. And he's just giving a really a contemporary sort of cosmological argument for God. It's a good book. If you want, if you want a a sort of introductory book to how to think about God from the perspective of natural theology, just using reason alone. Uh, so that might be another one. It's a little more technical than some of his other books, but it's still, I think, accessible enough. But he's he's interesting because he became, I think, Christian maybe in his 60s. And, but then he became Catholic in his 90s, like three years before he died. So he lived a super oh long goodness. time. Uh, but he, but wow. he got there, right? Like right at the finish line, he got there to the Catholic faith. So he's got an incredible life story. Brilliant. He's behind the Great Books program. So his Aristotle for Everybody is good. And then the third one, I'll recommend the other one. So... Plato's Republic, just classic. Everybody should read it. Aristotle for Everybody um, from Adler. And then Adler's also got a really good book called Ten Philosophical Mistakes. Ten Philosophical Mistakes. And why that book is good is because he kind of will give you an overview of the history of philosophical ideas. And it'll help you show how much our contemporary cultures influenced by certain modern philosophers like Descartes, like Locke, Uh, But also identify, like, these guys really went off the rails, and a lot of the sort of issues we're suffering now, it's it's sort of their fault in a way, right? But then he'll show you how to correct these mistakes by going back to thinkers like Aquinas, like Aristotle, and their mistakes regarding consciousness, thought, free will, ethics— politics. So you'll get a really great introduction to philosophy in general, the history of philosophy and what I think is ultimately good philosophy. So 10 philosophical mistakes would be my third recommendation. There, Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Gustavo,
1: do you have any uh, closing comments? Yeah.
2: uh, I just want to thank you, Pat. I think what what you're doing is really, um, you know, mixing these two worlds together. You know, we didn't really get into the fitness part of it, but it's definitely something that Walt, both Walter and I, are trying to get more involved in, you know, taking care of the of the physical the part as, as the temple. Yes, as as we uh, grow our intellect, too. But I think it's really funny. And I don't know if you've made this distinction. I'm sure you've had, but it's like <clears throat> working out your intellect as you work out your body, right? Because all these kettlebell exercises and and, and pushing yourself, I think from a from a atheist perspective, I, I, I think that's the recommendation. You know, work work out your intellect the way that you would work out your body, and give yourself that opportunity. You know, and I really appreciate what you're doing because I th- I think you're you're speaking to a younger audience about about topics that younger audiences don't necessarily get interested about. This mm-hmm. is where I think like people like Jordan Peterson really opened up also a window of 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 this reasoning and thought. You know, of exploring uh, of of being receptive to it. So it's kudos kudos on that and and just like to to make sure that it's um accessible you know you're meeting people where they are you know people are online and not not a lot of people are picking up a book now so so big big uh kudos to you on on your mission right now so
0: thank you so much well well thank you gentlemen i appreciate (coughs) you having me onto your podcast this has been an absolute joy for me so where can people find you uh tell us about uh Website, yeah, uh, social media, all that stuff. Well, thank you. I've got uh, the the podcast on like iTunes and stuff is the humbly and originally named Pat Flynn Show. So just the Pat Flynn <laughs> Show is kind of the the general podcast. You'll get fitness stuff there. You'll get philosophy stuff. If you want just the philosophy and and a little bit of theology stuff, then Philosophy for the People on YouTube. If you want uh, sort of that type of content, and then the fitness stuff, as you said, Walter, at the beginning is over at my website, ChroniclesOfStrength.com. So those would be the main main outlets.
1: Nice.
0: And your books can be found on all the places where books are sold? Yeah, all the places wherever you whatever beast you want to feed, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Just Venmo pad and it'll send you an autograph copy. Right. There you go. <laughs> Just <yeah>.
1: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't do that, guys. He might not do that. Ask him I don't have money. enough. The publishers <laughs> are
0: kinda of cheap these days. They don't send me as many like uh, you know author copies as they used to. So mm-hmm. well, that's a shame. But
1: uh, we want to thank you again for your time. This has been an amazing conversation. I feel like we could have done like an hour and a half episode. But um, thanks again. And uh, hopefully, uh, we can do uh, another episode in a a in the future. Just talk about uh, I had one thing that this is going to be so so bad that I'm doing this as a it's the end of it. But there is um, a thing that I didn't know. Do you And led me to discover that Dan John is Catholic. Mm, I was mm -hmm. like, yes, he is. (sighs) uh, Gustavo. Dan John is like a big kettlebell guy in the field. And his
0: background is actually, uh, he's a professor of religious studies. Most people don't know that about Mm -hmm. Dan, but, uh, most people assume that he's just, just, just a coach or maybe he teaches physiology, but nope. Mm -hmm. Dan's background academically is history and religious studies. And he's been a teacher and professor, uh, for many 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 years and uh he just sort of is known uh also as just being a yeah strength coach mm-hmm. just gonna start buff catholicism it's <laughs> That's gonna be a cool. think guys <laughs> all right pat
1: thank you so much uh god, god bless you and you yep. your mission and uh hope to see you soon uh at a later time
0: absolutely